I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stay Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done to my kind Every day I'm being hunted as prey my people don't want no trouble. We've had enough jungle. No justice. No peace. I just wanna live. God protect me. I just wanna live. I just wanna live. Hello, Grace Church. My name is Ben Lindsay. I am CEO of a charity called Power to Fight, which empowers communities to end youth violence. And I'm also the author of a book called We Need to Talk About Race. And it's a real privilege to be able to speak to you today. Uh, what I want to talk about today is uh, the topic is hope um, over optimism, very specifically to the issues around race and racism and the stuff which we've seen over the last few months, particularly with the untimely brutal murder of George Floyd from the police. Um, you've just seen a clip uh, from a, a young man singing a song called um, I Just Want to Live and brilliant song, but the pictures and the imagery which goes with it um, around George Floyd, around his murder, the protests from the Black Lives Matter movement which has come from that, um, would be probably the soundtrack of the summer right about now. And um, I want to just talk a little bit about how we, um, as Christians, engage with this issue um, and how do we find hope in such um, trying times. So what I want to do is I just want to try and earth this in Scripture, which is always the best place for us to, to, to be and to go. And if you've got your Bibles, what I want to do is read from Exodus 1, 8. Um, and I also want to, let's go on to, to uh, from 8 to 14. And I want to also then quickly look at Exodus 2, 23 to 25. So if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great for you just to uh, turn to those verses. So Exodus 1, 8 says this. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And then uh, chapter 2 uh, verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, 
And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Life is difficult, isn't it? Life is very hard. Um, for many of us, we may well be coming off the back of a very difficult period, specifically around COVID-19. You may have unfortunately uh, been ill or you might have lost loved ones. Maybe you lost your job in, in uh, the circumstances from COVID. Um, but also for many of us, the George Floyd situation also presented moments where we had to really, really uh, reconcile what is going on, not just around the world when it comes to race and racism, but what's also happening in the UK. Life is very, very tricky. And I, I heard the Archbishop of Canterbury once say that as Christians, we are to be more hopeful than optimistic. Optimism is a, is a choice, but when we start talking about hopeful, as Christians, we look at the word of God, we look at what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection and him defeating death as being our hope and it's what we, we hold on to. Our hope is secure. Optimism, optimism feels a little bit more by chance. Tim Keller said this. Tim Keller is a, a, a pastor and theologian based in New York and he said this, the heart of why people disbelieve and believe in God or decline or glow in character or how God becomes less real or more real in us is suffering. Let me say it again, the heart of why people disbelieve or believe in God or decline or grow in character or how God becomes less real or more real is in suffering. Suffering tends to be the, the deal breaker for most people looking into Christianity. If there was such a good God, why would this happen? If it was such a good God, why is it disease? If it's such a good God, why do we have infant death? If it's such a good God, why do we have had 400 years of, of slavery? Elizabeth Elliot says this, suffering is what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. When it comes to racism, I imagine for many black people and people of colour, we do not want racism. This isn't something which we're like, yeah, racism, brilliant, let's, let's, let's have this as, as a burden so we can talk about it all the time. We don't want that. What we want is equality. If you're a person of colour here and you've experienced racism, what you want is to be heard. You want a sense of belonging. Here's the big question though, and this is the question which most people will have whether we're talking about racism or not. How could a good God, a just God, a loving God allow such misery, depravity, grief, pain and anguish? When you look at the George Floyd situation in America over the summer, this wasn't something which is a new thing. If you know anything about race relations in the US, particularly around police brutality, this is not something which is new. We can go all the way back to the early 90s um, where we saw the, U the US riots in LA when there was police brutality then. We can look back to 2012 with Trayvon Martin. This is not a new thing. And unfortunately, this isn't even just an American thing. There are multiple cases of police brutality which has led to black people being murdered in the UK as well. The second big question is this, how can we then live well in hope and positively in the face of such hostility? How do we experience hope 
in a broken world. Well, I think Exodus 1 and 2 actually has some answers to this. Uh, God always has the answers, no matter what the situation we're going through. It's amazing that we can go to the Bible and there is something uh, very, very specific to the age that we're living in right now. Jesus, our Lord and our Saviour, has answers. And my prayer simply is that today we begin to look into that and through the Spirit he shows us uh, the direction we are to go, how we handle uh, racism and race relations in this time. Let me just pray quickly and then we'll, we'll crack in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to do, be able to speak your word, to speak about a subject which is close to your heart. You are against injustice, you are against racial injustice, and you always partner with your church to present your justice to your community, to this society, to the world around you. So I pray, Heavenly Father, in this time that you help me to speak with clarity and you empower your people. In your mighty name, amen. First of all, a history lesson and the context of those verses which I've just read. God in Genesis promised Abraham that he, his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky, that it would be a great nation and they would have their own land. From these descendants would come one who would defeat Satan, or otherwise known as the devil or our enemy, and that person, just in case you don't know, is Jesus. He came, he was born, um, he died, he was resurrected, he defeated death, and he defeated our enemy. 400 years before Exodus 1, though, there was a famine, and this threatened to wipe out Abraham's descendants. But through God's provision, they were saved by Abraham's grandson, a guy called Joseph, the guy with the Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, once played by Jason Donovan, if you're old enough to remember who he was. Um, and as a result, the people then moved to Egypt. But then 400 late, years later, there is a problem, as we've just read in Exodus 1, 18 to 14. They were initially welcomed, um, and then uh, the Hebrews were resented and feared. Oppressive measures were imposed. And to be honest, this isn't something which is too dissimilar to what we have seen today. My parents and my grandparents came to this country in the 50s and uh, 60s from Jamaica, and they were invited by the UK government. They were invited here due to the, uh, the workforce being depleted from uh, World War II. So my, my, my grandmother worked in the NHS, and uh, my, my granddad worked on the railways, and they were invited here, but very soon they were resented uh, very soon they were in a position where they weren't seemed like they, they felt very welcomed even some churches didn't didn't welcome them and then you can see how that played out with what we've seen 70 years later from that point with the wind rush scandal where some of these people who were invited here have now had to deal with the most horrendous immigration issues history has a funny way of repeating itself you see this promise which was given so Abraham was under threat from Pharaoh and Egypt in, in three ways. Firstly, the threat, first threat was that Pharaoh worked the Hebrews ruthlessly. And the aim of this was like, you know what, if, if they work them so hard, they're not going to have any time or energy to reproduce. And that just failed. <laughs> As a result, they, they multiplied. And so that failed. And he then attempted to uh, effectively kill every new born boy 
But that plan fell due to the courageous, courageous uh, acts of, of some midwives. They feared God more than the authority of Pharaoh. And then threat three was genocide. It wasn't just every newborn baby boy. They just went, Pharaoh just decided, I'm going to kill all infant boys. But the plan failed due to uh, five women, uh, Hebrew midwives, and uh, the mother and the sister of Moses, and Pharaoh's own daughter. And as a result, if, you, if, you may, if you've seen the Ten Commandments or you're familiar with this story, they conspire to hide baby Moses. That eventually results in Moses being raised by his Hebrew mother and being raised in an Egyptian palace. We have to understand the backdrop and the landscape of what is going on here at this time. There is slavery, there is murder, there is genocide, there is suffering, there is adversity. We can link this to how the transatlantic slave trade played out 400 plus years ago. And the question with Pharaoh and the Hebrews then was probably the same question which was played out on the transatlantic slave trade, those ships uh, coming into the Americas and, uh, you know, Europeans ripping families apart. The question very much is simply, how could a good God, a just God, a loving God, allow such misery and depravity, pain and anguish? Well, it's actually these key verses in Exodus 2, 23 to 25, where hope comes. It says this, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. See, the book of Exodus, this whole story of people being enslaved, being oppressed, lots of injustice, shows how God was not asleep. He, he didn't close his ears to the pain. He sent uh, a saviour. He sent somebody to come and set his people free. He sent Moses. God sees and God acts. This is the history of the Bible. God sees. He saw us deep in our sin. He sends his son, Jesus. In this particular situation, he sees his people suffering over two million Hebrews enslaved by Pharaoh and he sends Moses. He never is, our God is never asleep. And he's never asleep even in this particular circumstances when we're talking about racism. If anything you can tell about George Floyd's situation, you ask any person of colour, this feels very different to what we've experienced in the past when this conversation comes up. God has seen black people, people of colour, suffer racism for generations. And maybe this is the time when actually systems, conversations will change and structures will change and we can actually see real measurable change. So for the remainder of my time, I really want to just talk about why there is suffering and how do we work through it? How do we work through this tension of this grief and pain that we see and having this hope? And I suppose this is my encouragement, especially if you're a person of colour. I think there's a lot of conversations going on around how do churches engage with this issue and how do we, you know, rightfully try and repair some of these issues. But sometimes what we don't talk about is actually how the person of colour, how black or brown communities really uh, continue to walk through this daily. Unfortunately, I have to say, this, this is not a new thing for a black person or a brown person. This is something that we deal with on a daily basis. I'm glad that the rest of the world's woken up. But this is something which, as a black or brown person, we've been dealing with this from the day dot. So how do we, how do we get through the day-to-day -day of this continued conversation around race 
and racism. I want to look at Exodus 1 and 2, and I, I'm convinced that this helps us to explore why there is suffering and how do we handle particularly uh, race, racism. So let's, I'm going to just talk about a couple of, couple of points I want to pull out, and then I'll just conclude for the rest of my time. So first of all, we need to understand why there is suffering in the world, not just racism, but the suffering in the world. And for me, we need to get the bigger picture. We need to get the kingdom picture of what's going on. Uh, for my sins, I support Chelsea, so please don't turn off uh, this this sermon just yet. I support Chelsea. I, I, I used to go to Chelsea with my dad, who's a Chelsea supporter uh, from the 1980s, when they were not the mighty force they are now under Frank Lampard. Um, but when I used to go in the 80s and early 90s, my dad used to take me to the shed end, which was the, the stand just behind the goal. And he took me there because it was probably the best atmosphere. But the truth is, as a little boy, I used to get really frustrated sitting uh, in the shed end because I could not see the other end of the pitch. Uh, it was all well and good when the ball was attacking the goal I was behind. But when my team was at the other end, I couldn't really see. So I got really frustrated. When I then decided to inflict Chelsea Football Club onto my own children and I started taking them to Stamford Bridge, the home of Chelsea, I decided to sit on the West End, which is basically giving you a landscape view. I get to see the build-up of the play. I get to talk through the tactics with my children. You know, I get to pretend I'm the manager. But you get a, a, a wider uh, lens view of the game. <clears throat> Why am I talking about Chelsea? Well, I think when it comes to suffering and pain, we have to get a wider perspective of wider stuff but if we don't, we only get one perspective. It's a bit like being behind the goal. We don't get the bigger perspective of why we're in this situation. And the bigger perspective is this. Sin is the reason why everything is broken. It was our rebellion. We can see that when we read Genesis. Our rebellion back in the garden is the reason why sin came into the world. We disobeyed God. And our rebellion resulted in everything being broken, whether it's the earth, whether it's our hearts, everything you can think of is not how God would have wanted it to be. When we read verses and chapters like Ephesians 6, uh, particularly around verse 12, where it talks about our, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and the spiritual forces in the heavens. It means that there's something else going on. Another type of war, a spiritual battle, which is raging um, in, in, a, in a space that we can't see, but we are being impacted why? The Old Testament is dominated by Satan's ongoing rebellion against God. <clears throat> you see, Satan's strategy hasn't really changed. His strategy from the very beginning was to stop the promises of God, the seed of Abraham. And that meant there was pain for us. Anyone who then believes in Jesus is going to then also get caught up in that suffering and that pain. And that's the same strategy that hasn't changed. Satan wants to destroy his people, and he wants to destroy the church. But we know, as it says in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We know that Jesus has the victory. We've read the end of the book. Satan has not won. But until Jesus returns, we are going to continue having this ongoing cosmic battle, which then plays out into our day-to-day -day lives. And that plays out in racism that plays out in sexism that plays out in youth violence that plays out in child criminal exploitation all the ills of this world is 
being impacted by this ongoing cosmic battle between good and evil, between God and the enemy, which is impacting our day-to-day lives. It's a bit like, and I'm sure everyone at Grace Church here is a very cultured individual and therefore you've definitely gone to opera houses. And, you know, if you take the Vienna Opera House, which I've not been to, but I'm sure many of you have been, um, we go, if you went there, you would see the stage and you'd see the performances and you'll see the actors and the singers and it would be incredible. And as audience members, we'd be clapping and applauding and be mesmerised with what we've seen on the stage. But we only see what's in front of us we don't see all the workings and the mechanics and the sound and the lighting and all the props and the prop masters behind it there's a whole world which is which is impacting and influencing what we see on stage and that is very much what we are dealing with we're seeing this uh, our worlds and our lives is the is the visible world but it's actually being dictated and impacted by this invisible kingdom this spiritual battle behind the scenes This is the reason why the Hebrews were going through so much pain and suffering. And this is the reason why black people, people of colour, have suffered for years. I'm not taking responsibility from the human heart and the the choice, but we have to understand what is driving this is evil and is sin. And it can be traced right back to the garden when we rebelled against God. We have to get the bigger picture. And the reason why I'm saying we have to get to the bigger picture, because once we understand that there is a spiritual battle, we then start thinking, well, we need spiritual weapons to really destroy the sin and evil of racism, such as prayer, such as our word, the word, his word. This provides context to our pain and our grief. And it's really important if we don't, understand the root cause we don't get the correct diagnosis and we start looking elsewhere for solutions we've got to come back right back to the source and understand that the root cause of this whole thing is so is what happened in the garden and it's playing out today but we can be confident that our hope is in jesus christ so that's the why how do we actually this is the second point how do we actually navigate through these these ills how do we navigate through this broken world? Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine called Anika, who I've known for over 10 years, somebody who um, my wife and I brought to Christ. Um, and when it was her, she was pregnant with her second child, she was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer uh, in her 30s, um, multiple myeloma. And it was probably the first time I saw somebody with cancer that young. Uh, a good friend of mine, up close and personal, and, and walking through her with that. Um, and it was the first time I'd seen a person really suffer and also see God bring them out at the other end. Um, she would say it clarified her identity in Jesus. Um, she would say that she became more confident in the purposes of God and really enabled her to be courageous in the face of adversity. It created this... This, this deep faith with her and God and trust in God to create a steel in her faith and her belief. She would say things to me like, God's way and timing isn't ours. And whatever's going on with me, you know, I know the best desired outcome 
is 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 God's way, and in this life, man, this is amazing just to to watch. See, my friend Anika, in the face of adversity, trusted God over their over her circumstances. Um, she held on to the promises. She took a massive risk to trust God. She walked by faith and, and not by sight. She would quote verses to me which demonstrate the present hope that she would have in Jesus. For example, in Isaiah 43, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. She demonstrated the, the present hope she has in, in Christ. Or she would say, you know, quote Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushing spirit. Again, looking at this present hope she has, or I suppose when you're facing death, you also look to the future hope of Jesus, knowing that this life isn't the end, that Jesus conquered death. Revelation 21, 4, a very famous verse, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall no more, death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, anymore for the former things have passed away we have to acknowledge that for some of us this has been a very difficult time some of you are suffering right now as i said earlier on maybe you're suffering through the illness of covid or other illnesses maybe the burden of racism and the impact of george floyd is making almost it feel unbearable to be engaging even in a church context Maybe you've lost your job through COVID-19. Whatever it is, there is a suffering going on. How are you handling that suffering? How are you handling that adversity? Are you, like my friend, and like all of us should be, holding on to these promises from God, like we've just read in Isaiah 43, 2, or Psalm 34, 18, or Revelation 21, 4? Are we holding on to the word of God? And whether it's racism or sexism or any other ism or ill, for us to really get through this pain and suffering, understanding that there's a spiritual kingdom dynamic going on, this is not a black issue or a white issue, this is a kingdom issue, for us to really understand that, we're going to have to hold on to the promises of God. Are we suffering well or are we suffering badly? We need to be very clear on the Christian perspective of suffering. You see, Christianity, unlike fatalism, for example, understands that suffering is overwhelming. Christianity, unlike Buddhism, we have to understand that suffering is real. Christianity, unlike karma, demonstrates that suffering is often unfair. Christianity, unlike secularism, understands that suffering is meaningful. Christianity, unlike the culture around us, doesn't try to avoid or deny or even bring a quick fix into this conversation or this area of suffering or pain. See, with Christianity, with what Jesus did on the cross, it demonstrates there is a purpose to what we're going through. And if faced correctly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into a more stable relationship and understanding of what's going on, developing the spiritual power in us 
which is very strong and potent and gets us through day to day. When we go through that furnace of pain, and I know there are people watching this now who have been racially abused, who have been ignored, who have had to keep their mouths quiet around this issue of racism, who've gone through the furnace for years, we are to continue to hold on to the promises. We know that our God is a just God, that he fights against oppression, he fights against injustice, he fights for the fatherless, for the widow, for the immigrant. We know this, we see these in verses such as Isaiah 1.16. We have to break the lies of what the culture tells us, that bad things do not happen to good people. Because really, when we think about how we follow Jesus, the worst thing happened to the best person. Jesus walked this earth perfect, holy, he did nothing wrong, yet he suffered. Our hope can only be the cross and his resurrection. That's the only thing we can put our hope in. Elizabeth Elliot in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, says this, the first principle is that of the cross. Life comes out of death. I bring God my sorrows and he gives me his joy. I bring him my losses and he gives me his gains. I bring him my sins and he gives me his righteousness. I bring him my deaths and he gives me his life. But the only reason God can give me his life is because he gave me his death. His death. You see, when we're talking about the suffering that black people are dealing with, what we've seen with George Floyd, we need to understand that we have a God, we have a great high priest, we have our Jesus who can completely relate to police brutality. You see, Jesus experienced the reality of state-sponsored terror. So he understands the horrific nature of what we saw with George Floyd being killed. We have, as black people, a kinship with the crucified king, the great high priest, who was crucified, a crucified king, from an oppressed group. But we know that he was resurrected three days later, and police brutality, or the cross, could not hold him and did not have the final say. That is our hope when we see this stuff happen again and again, when we, as black or brown people, we see this secondary trauma going on and on and on. We've got to go back to the cross and see a high priest who went through what we're seeing. So, in conclusion, we are to have hope over optimism. We have to do that. How do we truly find hope in a broken world? Well. If you're looking in or you're, you're not a believer or you maybe not call yourself a Christian, when we see this broken world and when we're trying to find hope and we're asking why is this happening, what we can't say is because God doesn't care. No, God doesn't want this world to remain broken. That's why he sent his son Jesus to redeem it and to reconcile us to him. We have to understand that God is not static or passive to suffering and pain. 
In Exodus, God sends Moses to set his people free. In the New Testament, we see God sending the ultimate Moses, Jesus, to come and set his people free from sin. You see, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God sees the people, sees black people, brown people suffering across the world and he knew. And one thing I will say is that uh, I like intergenerational conversations. And when I speak to my mum, she says to me, you know, and she's in her 70s. And I ask the question, is this something which is new? Is this something which we've not really seen in terms of the conversation around race relations? She said, no, she lived through the civil rights movement and apartheid and the untimely death of Stephen Lawrence, a young man who was racially murdered in the 90s, and the institutional police racism which that brought through. She's lived through all this stuff, and she would say that this is a very unique and fresh conversation. For me, that says this. God saw the people. He saw the plight of black and brown people, and God knew. And what I'm encouraging you, church, is that, God is speaking right now and you have an opportunity to step in and be the, the warriors, the, the fighters against racial injustice, to show the world and the culture around you that Jesus cares about this stuff, that our Father in Heaven cares about this stuff. We can get into the, into the nitty gritty of Black Lives Matter. And look, as a black person, I'm asking you just to show empathy and compassion. I don't want white guilt. I don't think any black person really wants white guilt. But what we really do ask and may I even say demand is white empathy and white compassion at this time. Because for years, black people, black and brown people have suffered. And we've got a wake up call and a wake up moment. And the danger is if we do not engage with this situation and conversation at the moment, there's a possibility that there could be a whole generation of people who walk away from the church because they will remember the time when racism became a national conversation, they'll ask, where was the church in this? Let us be on the right side of history. I'm going to pray and I'll close. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you always see that you are not a passive God. And I pray that you help Grace Church in particular to be a beacon of light, to be bold, uh, to hear from you and to fight against racial injustice in this time. Let them demonstrate to their community and the society around them that there is a God in heaven who cares about reconciliation and unity. In your mighty name. Amen. Thank you and God bless.